The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, good day, good day. Welcome to the program and welcome to our special week on TNT Radio when the radio broadcast switches on video streaming. You've now got sight and sound before your very eyes and ears. And the feedback we're getting, I've got to say, is enormously positive. It's fabulous to get it on all platforms, whether it's social media or whether it's on the TNT platforms, the chat box, the email box, you name it. Uh, We thank you for that. It's fantastic. I've noticed some newbies, uh, some people I've never seen before, obviously taste testing after hearing that we're video streaming. That is a wonderful outcome. We welcome you along to the new platform for you. Um, We're here to tell you stuff that you won't hear on mainstream media. Um, The mainstream media steers clear of things that might embarrass government. They steer clear of things that are a little bit too hot to handle. Well, that's not what we do. We tell the honest truth, even if it hurts, no allegiances to government whatsoever, Um, no sickly patriotism or globalism. We stand for freedom and we stand for freedom of choice. And so you've come to the right place. I should point out at the beginning of the program that we're only an hour away from Thursday in the east coast of the United States. So I guess I may as well get in early and say happy Thanksgiving for an hour from now. Um, You'll be hitting midnight in about an hour on the east coast. uh, So enjoy the next four days as most people uh, do have the time off. Uh, For those of you who work emergency hours, I'm sure you'll get in some kind of festivity as is always the case. So happy Thanksgiving. Now, in this edition, the latest on this precarious deal between Israel and Hamas over hostages. Now, I say precarious because as you've been following in our news, it's been delayed. Difficult to work out why it's been delayed. It could be the Israeli side because of the logistical problems of releasing as many uh, as 120-odd Palestinian prisoners at the one time. You kind of get that. But every time there's a delay, it just seems as if we're further away from it happening. I'll get you the full story on that in the program very early on. We'll hear from global affairs expert Professor Joe Siracusa on this and whether the deal will go ahead at all or is it a trap. And does this signal an easing of tensions somewhat? I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought that would be the case, but we'll hear what Joe has to say. We'll also go back to the forgotten war. That is the war that's occurring in Ukraine. And um, I wonder whether what's happening in the Middle East either prolongs the battle in Ukraine or we'll see Russia victorious and victorious a lot earlier that may have been the case, because as you know, a lot of resources, a lot of money, attention, focus, scrutiny is going on the Middle East and Israel right now. I also want to play for you a quite extraordinary address to the United Nations. It was delivered by the son of a co-founder of the terrorist group Hamas, Mossab Yusuf, is so anti-Hamas, it is not funny. Um, Probably as anti-Hamas as anyone living in Israel today. You'll hear what he had to say to 
the chamber. From down under today, New South Wales Independent MP Mark Latham is ready to zoom in. That is literally, now that we are visual, we'll talk about how net zero was enshrined in law in New South Wales this week. Did you know that? But without any qualification about what it means, we've just got to reach net zero and all the usual calculations associated with it, but nothing about what the aim of net zero is. What do you hope to achieve by it? And what do you hope to change? Maybe because scientifically, nothing will change if Australia reaches net zero. Zip, nothing. Spread that fact. And the raging voices of anti-Semitism have taken over social media. We read on on the front pages of Australian newspapers today. Should they be censored? Should they be ignored? Or should they face the full force of the law? Take your pick. There's a multiple choice for you. I want to return to this ever-creeping trend to turn our financial systems entirely digital. We've covered this on numerous occasions through 2023 on the program. I'm no fan of a cashless society. I firstly think it's discriminatory, especially discriminatory towards older people who have been used to for 70, 80 years dealing in cash. Secondly, it's impractical. And thirdly, I would have thought in times of strife, war, uh, internet outages, maybe even pandemics, it is also dangerous. What could the government do with your cash? Now, most most people would think, oh, they won't do anything with it. Yeah, you want to bet? I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. And one man who's doing something about what our politicians and our scheming to do or toying with is financial journalist Jason Bryce. He's running a petition. I'll get an update on how that petition is going. I'm hearing it's going gangbusters. We'll speak with him next hour on the program. And whether you're a new listener or what do I say now, listener stroke viewer, or have been with us since inception, which is less than two years, less than two years, uh, you're most invited to step right up and have your say. We want to hear from you. We value your opinion. And you can do that from the United States or Canada right away. Don't delay, one 201 From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Let's get into this. A busy show ahead. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting from Sydney on the global news talk network, tntradio.live. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, it's no longer a state secret in the UK. Mr Brexit, an aspiring Prime Minister, Nigel Farage, did take the television moolah and is one of the cast of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, UK. Yes, uh, I'd be interested to hear from our British listeners who've been watching this woeful show, it's always been woeful to me, as to how you think Nigel Farage is handling himself on the program, surrounded by much younger people. Uh, while it is a woeful television show, uh, do not for a second underestimate what his role in the Australian jungle is all about. He's no dummy. Farage is a schemer. He's a strategist of the highest calibre and a man who can change the minds of people with the words he chooses and the way in which he uses them. He's an enormous orator. This is about speaking to the enemy and those younger, less politically-minded Brits 
who may have the choice to vote him into number 10 or vote him out of number 10 later next year or even more likely at the election following that. And if you listen to his manner on the first two shows, and I'll play you a snippet now, he's not just pitching down, that is, to a less than intellectual political audience. He's turning on a degree of self-deprecation, and it's a political masterstroke. I'm Nigel Farage, and I'm known, of course, for politics, for Brexit, and I'm a hero to some people and an absolute villain to millions. I'm Nigel Farage. I'm just below five foot ten. I used to have jet black hair, but I'm very sorry to say that's no longer the case. My facial features, I don't think, are particularly distinguishing. I just look like the average guy of my age walking down the street. Very self-deprecating. Now, just on his face, one tabloid that I saw when I was searching for this story last night did unkindly call him Frogface in a piece about how horrible the cast is this year. But at least they're watching, at least they're watching, or are they? Now, the first set of ratings numbers are in, and the show might be about to lose its crown as the most watched show on UK TV, with the first episode losing a large number of viewers on last year. Now, ITV... They've been rating, uh, riding a ratings wave with the reality series in recent years. It's been pulling in on average, listen to this, 9 to 11 million viewers each year. 9 to 11 million. However, the premiere on the weekend had an average of just 7 million viewers, still the biggest entertainment launch across any channel in Britain, but down on the average of 9.1 million at the same time in 2022. 9.1 to 7 million. Yes, down. Yes, upsetting, but hardly a crash. Uh, is it Farage? Now, social media commentary points to that, as you'd expect. And politicians, of course, are not cult or pop heroes to that viewership. Uh, that usually goes to the other members of the cast. Worse still, Farage is seen as aggressive. He's seen as divisive. And worse still, he's seen as conservative. Oh, no. Uh, again, another negative for young, progressive, jungle TV viewers. Even before the series began, you'll love this, speculation about the Farage factor um, came out. It was leaked on purpose and it was spread on social media, how he'd appear in the jungle. It didn't go down too well. Uh, supposedly long-time fans of the show, they were quick to say they were boycotting the program. And the fact that it emerged that Farage would be earning, wait for this, £1.5 million to appear. £1.5 million to appear. No wonder he said yes. Uh, the highest paid celebrity in the history of the show, mind you. Um, I've got to say the animosity only grew. One viewer called Farage's casting a cynical bid to boost its ratings, arguing they should not be given publicity to an extremist who's assisted in doing untold damage to this country. Now, several peti petitions have also been assembled in an attempt to get the so-called hateful Farage removed from the show. That's going well and truly beyond what you would uh, call a small critique. Comedian London Hughes wrote, if I went on I'm a Celeb and I found out I was on the show with Nigel Farage, I'd leave and sue for racial negligence. But that's just me. I'd say that I'm quite shocked that ITV is platforming a racist as a form of entertainment, but nothing really surprises me anymore. Broadcaster Denny Baker added, Nigel Farage being put into the jungle by ITV shows how insensitive, crass, tone deaf, idiot provocative, morally bankrupt a network they are. Bang. 
But over at Niger's uh, GB News Studio, well, you can catch regular reviews of the previous night's episode each morning. You either really like the person and therefore you want to see more of them on the screen or you don't like them and you want to punish them because you want to see them going through bad stuff. And let's face it, it's Nigel Farage. It will be... 50-50. 50-50. He, he'll be absolutely in his element. And um, I read about this in my column this morning. He said, I've been used to dealing with reptiles and snakes <laughs> all my life in the political firmament. So dealing with them down under in the jungle, uh, it's, it's, a, it's easy for him. One thing that cannot cruel Farage's chances of winning, and don't be fooled, he's there to win, um, is a major mishap or an embarrassing failure carrying out some more strenuous challenges. Farage has already made it clear that he suffers from some, quote, quite serious physical injuries, which rules him out of taking part in any labour-intensive trials. And to be fair, in 2010, you might remember this, he was taken to hospital following a plane crash at Brackley near North Hampshire, uh, Northamptonshire. Again, he's not, he's got nothing to lose out of this, nothing to lose at all. And yes, it's a woeful show, but Politicians who take a self-deprecating view, uh, as he has on every episode thus far, and are courageous enough to put their head in a box of snakes, which he's already done, and worse, they could only gain support, not lose it in those scenarios. And that's what Farage is stuck in the Australian bush this month for. Not for fun. He's not in the fun, having a great time in the sun, but to sell himself to those who frankly hate him and those he'll need if he ever wants to become Prime Minister. And just back on having the gift of the gab, uh, his supportive words of wisdom to other contestants when they kind of hang out each, each night, and the way he can argue with someone about the issues that he's pushed for many years, but he does it in a, an agreeable fashion, I'm telling you, it is winning over the jungle audience. It's Nigel Farage on happy gas. Uh, his strategy is working. And some on social media, not many, but some are saying maybe they've misjudged the vile politician. That's what one said. Uh, Right now, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has probably got too much falling around him at the moment to take any notice of television, especially I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But the irony is that woeful show is playing a key role in his dumping and the grooming of his eventual successor. Farage wants Sunak's job and he'll stop at nothing, not even a box full of snakes, to take it. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Rick Munn. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, ESCOM, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider. ESCOM has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. That's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company. The group presented its first full-year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all. And most places are undergoing what's called uh, load shedding, which means for up to 
10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa. Locked and loaded with Rick Mon on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'll get to your call shortly. We've got a couple of people who do want to have something to say about what's going on in Gaza, but more importantly, the reaction in the Western world. Well, Israeli officials have announced the hostage-for-prisoner swap deal has been delayed at least until Friday, we hear, at least until Friday. And the start of an agreed temporary truce in fighting has also been delayed until at least Friday. My next guest will share his insights on this and more. Professor Joseph Siracusa is Dean of Global Futures in the Faculty of Humanities at Curtin University. He's a leading expert in American politics, foreign policy, and international security. Professor Siracusa has supervised to completion 40 PhDs and more than 150 masters and honours students regularly presents at international conferences and has volunteered his time to lecture at high schools. He joins us live from Perth, WA. Joseph Siracusa, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. What's the likely outcome for the hostages here? Why the delay? And could Hamas be about to outdo their atrocities from October 7? Or is it Israel playing ducks and drakes? How do you read this? Well, I think Israel is under enormous pressure. This this is, Chris, this is the perfect storm. Historically, nations like Israel and the United States and France and Australia and others, uh, they they go out of their way to get hostages. Hostages are very important to us in the West. Uh, Sometimes we're in a war where we lose, you know, half a million people, but we got to get the hostages. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind that Joe Biden was about, uh, oh, about 19, 20 years old my age too at the time when um the um uh, uh there was uh, the, the raid or the the i told the iranians grabbed those americans yeah. in 1979 okay and that was a 440 day deal they dragged the hostages used them politically they destroyed the carter administration and then uh, iran was on the warpath and we have in the back of um uh, in the back of netanyahu's mind he's not just worried about what he's doing right now he's got a lot of uh, got a lot of history in his head. His brother Yanni led the raid on Antebi to get those hostages back uh, that were taken by uh, German and uh, Palestinian militants and then uh, taking refuge in U- U- Uganda. And th- these these hostage moments are for these people. They're, they're political multipliers. They, their careers end or they begin with how successful they are. So, you know, people, it may look a lot of strange to people that we've lost that thousands of people in this Gaza war so far, and we're spending all this time and energy bringing back 40, 50, 60 people who are probably in terrible shape anyway. But there, mm-hmm. there's this, this history is playing. Now, his, his, I can't mention this uh, enough. History is 
uh, is the multiplier here. It's it's front of mind. And I want to remind you, too, and your audience, that about 60 years ago at this very hour, Lee Harvey Oswald murdered John Kennedy. And look how that sticks on our heads. You know, these are historical moments that, you know, that people have, whether it's hostage or the loss of a political uh, leader or something like that. We never forget these historical things. But what's going on right now is a is the perfect storm. Uh, we have a policy in Gaza that hasn't been working for 20 years. And the worst secret in Washington is that the two-state solution is dead. The Oslo Accord is dead. There's, there's nowhere for this thing to go. And then it backfired because the Israelis were pushing and pushing. And, you know, are they right or wrong? Well, I'll tell you what. If you ask half the world that's camp that's uh, protesting right now, the Israelis are wrong because we're watching terrible things on television. But if you ask St. Augustine and you looked at the just the just war, St. Augustine used to say, well, is there a reason to go to war? Yeah, they attacked all these people. And then uh, have you tried diplomacy? Well, that's not working. So then you get involved, you, you apply military force. And is the good outweigh the bad? As for the Israelis to get rid of Hamas is, you know, is, is outweighs the bad. But mm. for the rest of the world, they just looked at. And keep in mind also for your audience, when the Ukrainians were under attack, half the world couldn't wait to house or or or, or bring uh, hostages or bring Ukrainians into their countries, Canada, America, Britain, Poland, other places. No one wants the Palestinians. Mm. Egypt doesn't want them. They're trouble. Jordan doesn't want them because it screwed up the place. Syria doesn't want them because they screwed up the place. Nobody wants these people. And so we got a hot potato. We got a war that has no resolution. And we got no place for these people to go. We have a solution that's dead in the water. So at the end of the day, people are thinking about, they're positioning themselves for their political careers. Biden's very concerned that if he looks like a failure at the hostage deal, uh, people will say, well, that's the end of his career and, and, and the thousands of people who work for him. Same thing with uh, Netanyahu. His brother is the only, the only casualty, I think, among the Israeli commandos that day at Entabi. And so uh, can, can he do this? So, you know, we've got a lot of things going on that we don't mention in the, in the mainstream press. And that is the, uh, the, the pressure on these people to bring the hostages home when it looks like it doesn't make it. What's the difference? Bringing 50 people home when there are 10,000 people buried under rubble. I mean, what's the point of this? The point is, is that in the West, we do things differently. We, we value human life. And so we, we, we spend as much money and time as we can. You know, it's, it's good to be French or American or Australian or, or, or whatever it is. They will come after you if you're in trouble. In a lot of other places, no one comes to get you, as a matter of fact. That's, yeah, about, that's very, probably the, it, the it, It's speaker. worth differentiating between the two approaches. It is worth differentiating between the two approaches. The one comment I haven't seen too much of when we've been discussing this hostage for prisoner deal and, you know, Israel hoping so much that they would be released in total, but it'll be drip fed. Uh, uh, what we've, what we've, I haven't seen mentioned too much is the idea that, hang on a second, I thought the Western world should never do deals with terrorists. Does that mean that I, now retired terrorist, should get back into the game because I'm about to, uh, you know, take my own hostages and get what I want? Yeah, we've been saying for years we don't deal with terrorists, but we do. We do. You know, to get the, the, the people back from Tehran in, in 74, we gave them what they wanted. 
We always give them what they wanted. We use back channels like the Qataris or, yep. or other people. We do things behind behind the scenes. It's one of these things that uh, that's our official policy. Our unofficial policies will do it. I mean, even Ronald Reagan, who, who was as tough as they come, was dealing with uh, the Iranians and the back channels. So, yes, we do deals. And, and, and I, I hate to say this, but these people who attack the West, whatever the historical reasons, they see things and they draw conclusions. I heard um, bin Laden say in an interview once that he saw that America didn't do a damn thing after Black Hawk Down and that body was dragged through the streets of Mogadishu. And he said he knew that was the moment to to attack. The Americans are soft. So people see these things. Mm. And of course, um, you know, grabbing hostages, it's a piece of cake. You know, they could be tourists or anyplace else. And they become these political uh, prisoners. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we're open season, as a matter of fact. When Westerners go abroad right now, they got a target on their back. And, of course, this will produce copycats all over the world. And so, you know, we have to look over our shoulders. Yeah. Well, the ceasefire itself, it will be of enormous benefit to Hamas, right? Well, yes. You know, uh, but both significant, uh, both uh, symbolically and in real, real terms, they get to shift their positions. They get to take a breath. But more than that, the uh, by granting them uh, this official, let's call it policy, swear, I don't know. They, they, they got all kinds of names for these things. What it shows is, is that Hamas has gone toe-to-toe with the Israeli Defense Forces and survived. No one expected them to win. I don't think they expected to get this far. But they've gone toe-to-toe with the Israelis, and they're still standing. Yeah, it's a great victory for them because they can say for the rest of their lives that they stood up to the Israelis. Now, I saw a study the other day that says that most of the Hamas fighters, militants, are the children of um, Palestinians who were killed in um, uh, other exercises or or protests, etc. They're they're orphans. So now we got a whole new generation of orphans who will sign up for the cause. They they, they become the poster boys. Yeah. So this is a never-ending cycle. But, uh, you know, we got nine and a half million Israelis, three and a half, four million Palestinians. And sooner or later, you know, this had to happen because America has no control over what Israel does. Israel yeah. will thumb, their, thumb its nose at America when it thinks it has to do the right thing, the way every nation should. They don't have to go waltzing Matilda with America because they tell them to give something back. Because no one told America to give Mexico back to the Mexicans, or I'm sorry, Texas, or California, or Arizona. We don't give anything back. We keep it. And so yeah. when the Israelis say, hey, what kind of game is this? And so, you know, we, we taught the world poker, and now we're asking them to play cartridge. They're not yeah, that's buying it. Okay. Great analysis. They're not buying it. They're absolutely not buying it. I've got to get a little bit of news, if I may, Joe, and I'll come back with you in just 30 seconds. Um, this is TNT Radio. Here's what's making news. News. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Authorities say there is no indication a vehicle explosion at a border checkpoint on a bridge in Niagara Falls was a terrorist attack. Security footage shows a speeding car losing control and becoming airborne before launching into a booth and bursting into flames. New polling out of the US shows almost half of Americans are now fed up with Washington sending their hard-earned money to Ukraine. And the planned ceasefire in Gaza has been delayed. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Just before I get back to Professor Joe Siracusa, I want to get Glenn the Truckee's view. He's a a mad Hamas hater, which I think is very healthy in these circumstances. If only more Palestinians hated Hamas like he does. Go ahead, Glenn. There you go, mate. Yeah, I, I just want to... It's a message to the Australians that are justifying what Hamas did because they're calling Israel the uh, occupiers. And I've heard another one today. I heard a bloke say that he ju- he's justifying what Hamas does done in that barbaric raid and he'd do the same a question to the Australians that do that Lydia Thorpe the leader of the Black Sovereign Movement declared war on the rest of Australia, do you remember that? Yeah. Chris? Mm-hmm. Okay I want to say to all you Australians you're living on stolen land and if you're in any doubt, have a look at how many times the Prime Minister of this country has said always was always will be Aboriginal land if the Black Sovereign Movement came and slaughtered your family tomorrow, raped your wife and your daughter in front of you, then butchered them, would you justify what they just did because you're on you're an occupier of somebody else's land? Yeah, I'm it's hard to fathom me. exactly what you do until you you're shoved or you're forced into those predicaments, and we're not. It's easy on the other side of the world to offer commentary, isn't it? Well, I'm disgusted. As a, I'm ashamed as an Australian. I've never felt shame to be an Australian in my life, but I am. And this is this is really getting to me, Chris, the fact that regardless of the history, the act that took place on October 7 was deplorable. And for people to justify it by, in Australia by saying that Israel are occupied, well, people, your own Prime Minister told you publicly several times you're an occupier. So I'm asking you, those that, that justify it, if the black sovereign movement in Australia came and butchered your family and raped your wife and daughter in front of your eyes, will you still hold the same viewpoint and forgive them and say that they were justified because you're on stolen land? Yeah, it's a rhetoric question, and I'm glad that you made it. Um, you're getting some support on our chat box people are saying things like glenn is a legend good on you glenn so they're supportive of you thank you very much for your call mate thanks mate but mate it's getting me down and i can see there is going to be violence in our country because as your guest just said nobody wants the palestinians but we've already got 860 that the government's brought in now these are people that teach their children from birth to murder jewish people yeah, not all of them, but many do. Yeah, you're right. Not all of them, but many do. We've, hang on. We've seen the videos, Chris. This is throughout their educational system. So you can't say not all. It is through their education. Their schools and their preschools teach them to kill Jews. Let's not let's not look at this through rose-coloured glasses. Let's look no, at I'm not doing that at all. I'm telling you that we've seen this and we've seen the evidence, yes. <laughs> Until you sit down with the 800 people, every single one of them, and talk to them about how they feel and whether they uh, wish for the same terrible events to happen to people who are of Jewish 
nationality, well, you know, you can't say it for sure. But, Glenn, I've got to get back to Joe. He's uh, agreed to oh. make his time available. Okay. I appreciate yours, mate. Okay, see ya. Good on you, Glenn. Thank you. Joe Syracuse, what about the forgotten war in Ukraine? And I wonder with what's happening in the Middle East, does this make the Ukraine war end earlier or does it prolong it? No, I think it's just going to end earlier. Look, the uh, Ukraine war was always coming to a conclusion, a diplomatic conclusion. It's quite clear that uh, Ukraine uh, cannot defeat uh, a nation of 149 million people who have no trouble, by the way, <laughs> finding ammunition and the, mm. and the rest of it. Look, uh, the Ukrainian thing has come and gone. Uh, it was going to be a losing situation. The Republicans were all ready to jump ship on this, and a lot of Democ and a number of Democrats realized that this is uh, not a mistake, but it's something America tried. And um, Ukrainians are very brave. They did what they could. But at the end of the day, um, uh, they, there's going to be some adjustment there. And so the, the Ukraine war is over, okay? Or as when I was a kid, they'd say, it, it's, it's all over, but, you know, the screaming, as a matter of fact. It, it's going to end. And, um, you know, half of Ukraine went abroad or they're living someplace else. Uh, many of them died. Ukraine is, is just like uh, Gaza. It's a parking lot. A lot of it's been destroyed by Russian artillery. And it was one of those things, and I believe this, that could have been forestalled by a little more creative diplomacy from Joe Biden. Biden should have just got on the horn and told um, uh, Putin the way John Kennedy did when he talked to Kit, uh, to uh, General Secretary Khrushchev in 62. He should have got on the horn <coughs> and said, look, NATO's not going into Ukraine, and there'll be no advanced weapon systems on their borders, which are only 450K to Moscow. That would have been the end of, of the invasion. Yeah, it would Ukraine. have been. He didn't, even answer, he didn't answer the phone, you know? He just didn't answer the phone. So we were a little, uh, we, we didn't cause the war, but we, we, wouldn't, we didn't give anyone an off-ramp. We should have been able to guarantee it. Anyway, that'll be the end of uh, Ukraine. Now, the president's... Uh, uh, op-ed piece in the Washington Post combining <clears throat> Ukraine uh, funding with with uh, uh, Gaza fund, Israeli funding, yeah. was uh, uh, just a play. Uh, it was uh, sort of like a hail mary pass. It was that last moment thing you can do before you lose everything. Congressmen and senators do not see these as comparable. They're not both. Of, they're not uh, analogous. They're not. They're not equal. Mm. Gaza is. Uh, uh, a problem that the Israelis have, and we have not mentored them very well the last 20 years. That is, we didn't pay any attention. But in in, in Russia, uh, you know, they've Ukraine's got billions and billions of dollars, and it wasn't able to, to turn the tide. And anybody who thinks they could uh, force the the Russian landmass off the, those borders is crazy. And you know, and I've been saying for years that if the Russians supported the Puerto Rican independence movement. With armaments 90 miles from America, we'd be at war with Russia, or if they wound up in Canada or, or across the Rio Grande. Yeah, that's you know, true. It is a, it's a geography. It explains exactly why problem. Russia is doing what it's doing. It, it, it is about their borders. They want safe borders, and they don't really care. And, and keep in mind, you know, people forget this. You, you, Ukraine isn't just this ingenue that, that came out of nowhere. Uh, Khrushchev made his career in Ukraine, and the great Leonid Brezhnev was a Ukrainian. These guys know how the Russians play. 
they come from the same playbook. So that when the Russians play tough and they play dirty, they act like they, they didn't see this coming. Of course they did. They used to be good Soviets, as a matter of fact. So they know how the game's played. Yeah. Can I ask you about the arrival in Kiev of Lachlan Murdoch, Fox Corp chief executive? He met with Vladimir Zelensky in the capital. Um, Kiev said it was a very important signal of support at a time when global media attention has shifted from the war with Russia to the Middle East. Well, I'm sorry, I've picked up most of the News Corp papers today. They're still focusing more on what's going on in the Middle East uh, as they were on Russia. What 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 was the message there from News Corp? Um, actually, uh, I don't think Lachlan meant badly. Actually, I don't think he meant anything at all. People just want to get a selfie with Zelensky in Kiev. <laughs> it's like going to Disneyland and getting your picture taken with Mickey Mouse in front of the camp. <laughs> It means nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'll tell you something else. The, the Murdochs and Sky, no new news media ever drives the war. That was the 1930s and 40s when everybody yep. read newspapers. Yep. Today it's radio, television, social media. And But the idea of Lachlan showing up there uh, is, is, I don't want to laugh at him, but it is laughable. And whoever told him that was a good idea should be fired on Monday morning. It's it's quite amazing. Now, the Russian Ministry of Defence announced on Tuesday that the Russian and Indian navies are holding joint drills in the Bay of Bengal. The ministry said the exercise is aimed at comprehensively developing and bolstering naval cooperation between the two countries, as well as jointly countering global threats at ensuring safe shipping in the Asia-Pacific region. I don't know who would be a threat to India, but anyway, how significant is this teaming up between Russia and India? Well, I think it's very significant, and it should tell everybody what the quad is worth. Nothing. <laughs> I tell you that. <laughs> India's playing kind of both sides of the ball here. Oh, yeah. And, and they're covered in the global south with bricks, and they belong to every organization on earth. And the Indians uh, identify, of course, with uh, uh, with with, uh, uh, with Israel in, in terms of what they're doing there. And so the, the Indians play their own kind of game. Mm. And they've been doing that for a long time. Uh, God bless them, but uh, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. <laughs> In an interview with Taz News Agency on Wednesday, Pakistan's ambassador to Russia, Mohammad Khalid Jamali, said that his nation could join the BRICS Economic Alliance next year. He said the country had already applied for membership and is counting on Russia's assistance with the process. Do you see, you mentioned BRICS, do you see the BRICS Alliance continuing to grow and become more powerful and influential? Oh, it's an alternative to, uh, it, it's a practical, realistic alternative to the G20. Um, the head of the UN says that the world is fracturing right now. What he means by that is we've gone away from uh, America's uh, uh, influence in the world to a what he calls a multipolar. Uh, we're, we're starting to have lots of nations now are calling the tunes. That's why India's jumping all over the place. It wants to get on the right horse. But, um, yeah, I think that's going to happen. And, um, you know, the um, the sanctions against Russia didn't work because the rest of the world wasn't buying it. And, and, I, and I think a lot of what, what, what America's doing now, and uh, I think America's heavy uh, uh, unipower period is well over. I mean, it's not telling anybody what to do. You know, America was called a superpower. 1949, 1950, by a friend of mine, Bill Fox, at Columbia, in a little book, and I, I haven't seen it now. With our, with America's superpower status, 
We couldn't get the North Koreans to do what we wanted in the 50s. We couldn't get the Vietnamese to do what we wanted in the 60s. We couldn't get the Iranians to do what we wanted. No one cares about America's superpower status. Everybody does what they're doing. There are 193 nations in the world today, and there'll be 193 next year. One of the nations that's not going to be there, of course, is Palestine. Palestine is never going to be a nation state, though it may have observer status, be some kind of an entity. But this idea that, I mean, the world is splintering, and that's kind of a natural thing. You know, it's not about setting up new sets of rules, but um, Washington's not calling the tune. And I think, uh, you know, you've seen uh, Joe Biden go abroad and he, he, he says to people, you know, we're back and that America will not give up one inch. Do, do, do you think, does anybody really think <laughs> Donald Trump is going to go to war over Luxembourg? No. Or Polish. You know, this is crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, Australia, of course, is always safe because America and Australia have had this natural bond since um, uh, since the Second World War. They're, they're a natural ally. But the rest of it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, one last one. On Saturday, you mentioned sanctions. On Saturday, French European Parliament member Thierry Mariani said sanctions against Russia had been intended to ruin the Russian economy. But on the contrary, they impoverish us. He's right, isn't he? Well, the, um, a serious study I saw years ago said that 40% of sanctions don't work and that they always come around and bite you in the ass. And that's exactly what this has done here. It's coming but, but bitten us right in the butt again. If they don't work. Sanctions is what you do when you can't throw a punch. They, you just take something away from somebody and no one really believes in them. And actually sanctions, uh, they're kind of like a phony war. They say, I don't really want to fight you, but I'm going to take away your oil and this thing and that thing. And you know, it's a big world. Everybody needs oil. Everyone needs coal. Everyone needs everything. So the Russians just diversified. But this idea that we were going to, all we did was impoverish uh, uh, Europe and, and increase inflation. Yep. And we, we got all kinds of bottle jams, um, bottlenecks in our supply lines. We... Sanctions don't work. They shouldn't be done because what they do is, is they poison the diplomatic solutions that are right in front of your face. Mm. And, you know, That's if someone sanctions me, I'm not going to listen to them on Monday morning. Not interested. Yeah. Not interested. Outstanding analysis on so many fronts, Joe. Thank you so much for being part of the program today. It's great to hear from you. Anytime, Chris. Good on you. Fantastic. Professor Joe Syracuse. Have you heard analysis like that before? How brilliant is he? Um, a global affairs expert, you know, writ large. Fanta fantastic to have him on. We'll we'll talk to Joe again when the war pivots to or into a different direction. But right now we're waiting on this hostage exchange and each day it's delayed I think is a day closer to it not happening at all. Maybe you've got a view on all of that. And you'd like to have your say, well, do that. Don't just get on the chat box. Get on our talkback lines as well. You can phone through uh, from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425 or from the UK, 033-0024-1026 or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? 
From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to in-state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! The voice of a changing world, Chris Smith, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, um, just getting a little bit of feedback from lots of members of the listening audience, or should I say the listening viewing audience now, uh, one here from Alex that says the anti-Farage derangement syndrome is hilarious to me. I hope Nigel wins the show. I reckon Nigel Farage will go close to winning that show. Um, that's what I think. Another one here on the same subject, Chris has said, so do I. I also hope he gets parachuted into the Tory leadership. He was brilliant in the EU parliament and as an expat Brit living in Australia since 2007, I was proud to vote leave in 2016, thanks to him. Uh, Nev says UK IP and Farage were actually an establishment fake created as a honeypot for white British nationalism to undermine Nick Griffin and the BNP, who were the real deal. Interesting theory. Interesting theory. And a few others, one here from Chris saying, I think Farage's successes sussed him out. Well, right now, I hope they're sussing him out because he is heading for one particular outcome, and that is the leadership of the Tory party. And he's quite happy for them to crash and burn at the next election in 2024. It'll probably be held this time next year. But whatever the outcome, and the outcome is very likely to be a Labor victory, he will then take the leadership and come back and form a Conservative party which has been his biggest bugbear about the current Tories, a Conservative Party, which I think will go very, very close to winning the day in the following election. So he's got a long-term plan. And uh, those with long-term plans are usually uh, pretty well spot on. Now, this is amazing. If you haven't been across this, I've spoken before on the program since October 7 about the son of one of the co-founders of Hamas, his name is Mossab Hassan Youssef, and the son of the co-founder of Terror Group Hamas has blasted the organisation this week in a blistering half-hour speech at the United Nations. Now, it's travelling on social media quite prolifically at the moment, so it's easy to track down. It goes, as I say, for 30 minutes. There's plenty of it there. Mossab 
Youssef, the son of Hamas co-founder Sheikh Hassan Youssef, defected from the terrorist group in the late 90s and secretly worked with Israel security services to expose and prevent several Hamas terrorist attacks. Now, I've spoken about him previously. He later turned to Christianity and wrote a 2010 autobiography titled Son of Hamas. So he does dine out on his old position. Youssef, who's aged just 45, now endeavours to expose the true face of Hamas's genocidal death cult. I wonder how many Palestinians are awake to the evil of Hamas and can see that they have no concern or care for the Palestinian people. Anyway, here's Mosab Youssef early this week. If Hamas is not defeated in Gaza, it will inspire many groups around the globe. They will see that few thousands of savages can blackmail the international community, the superpowers, and bring democracies to their knees. Many of them are watching now, and many of them are very happy about how the world is responding. And many of them are satisfied to see the state of confusion and fear and anxiety. This is the time to get united. Because if Israel fails in Gaza, all of us, we will be next. That's interesting. That's Mosab Youssef, uh, a short clip from him in that half hour address to the UN. He said a lot, a lot of other things. Um, they call him the Green Prince, Youssef, repeatedly insisting on the need to eliminate Hamas. And he elaborated extensively on horrific cases of violence and torture to make his point. Uh, torture that we've heard of and torture that we haven't heard of up until that address. And wouldn't it be wonderful if terrorists were no longer inflicting their horrendous violence in the Middle East? But you wonder how that could ever come about, given how this war has been carried through. Youssef said he doubts that there are ten to 12,000 casualties in Gaza. But even if it's true, he says, it's a miracle there are not more. Um, I would have thought when I heard that, try telling that to the families of those Palestinians who've lost their children. And while there was understandably much sympathy for Israel immediately following the October 7 massacre, world opinion, I think, has shifted. And it shifted dramatically in recent weeks as the bodies of thousands of Palestinian women and children pile up in Gaza. And if you have a look at the young demographics of the population, 50% are children. So therefore, 50% of those who have died would have been children, maybe even more. The last Palestinian election was back in 2006, would you believe? And Hamas then achieved 44% of the vote. Uh, demographics will tell you that the overwhelming majority of Palestinians did not vote for Hamas. But I'm sure they'd like a democratic election right now. Um, it's noteworthy that in 1970, Yasser Arafat, then chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, said he aimed to liberate Palestine from the river to the sea, but added, we want to create a Palestinian democratic state for whoever desires to live there. There will be room enough for all, Jews and Arabs, he said. Now, most of the world never trusted Yasser Arafat and never trusted what he said then. But what he said then is a lot better than the continual threats of mass 
executions and death which come from the mouths of Hamas leaders regularly. So is a democratic Palestinian state even possible now? You heard what Joe Syracuse said, no way. Uh, and I would have thought the way in which Israel has gone about their extraction of Hamas and taking so many lives, innocent lives in uh, of Palestinians makes that even more remote. Uh, the hatred towards Israel is at fever pitch in Gaza, of course. Under Israel's current policy, this long-promised Palestinian state simply won't happen. But as historians, do historians document, peaceful collaboration uh, among Jews and Muslims has occurred in the Middle East, but centuries and centuries ago, Matt Errett pointed to that in a discussion we had with him on Monday. Um, as, much as, as much as Mossab Hassan Youssef may want to eliminate Hamas, and I know the Israelis do as well, but as long as Israel continues to bomb Gaza and you get, you know, kids being pulled out of rubble, et cetera, as long as that continues to happen and they are careless in that process, well, Hamas will only gain new recruits. You heard what Joe Syracuse says, the orphans will become the new recruits and the conflict will continue for another 50 years. That's the outcome of such a war, whether we like it or not. That's the truth, whether we like it or not. Now, the Israeli Defence Forces are still intent on proving the cynics wrong. So they've spent days, almost a week now, under the ground, under the hospital at Al-Sharif, trying to convince the media that there were tunnels, Hamas bunkers under the main hospital. Well, they've released new images. They've actually dragged a few selected journalists and cameramen with them underground. Um, and it does show, you can have a look at the pictures yourself in various publications, it shows soldiers moving through tunnels underneath the hospital, uh, the labyrinth of tunnels at the Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City includes rooms where Hamas terrorists can operate and stay for extended periods, according to the IDF. Behind the breached blast door, soldiers discovered an air-conditioned hideout room and a bathroom. The soldiers of the 7th Brigade also located two additional tunnel shafts near the hospital, one on a nearby street and the other in a nearby house. So the findings, according to the IDF, unequivocally display Hamas's deliberate method of operating underneath hospitals. So I think it's fair to say that they have proven that underneath the key hospital in Gaza, there is a tunnel system. It took them a week to prove it. As for the cache of weapons they found within the hospital, I think the world is still very, very cynical of who belong to those weapons and whether they actually belong to Hamas or not. I don't think they've won the propaganda war there. Um, now, as for this ceasefire, if it happens and the hostages are exchanged, we're hearing that there will be something like 180 Palestinian prisoners handed over to Hamas. There'll be something like 53 to 58 hostages handed over at once. Um, as the ceasefire starts, and then after that, they will be released uh, 10 at a time. That's what we're hearing at the, at the moment. They'll be released 10 at a time. Now, it could be that they're released over a four-day period. That's what we're hearing from the Qataris, that this will be stretched over a four-day period. And you, you know what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has said about what will happen after that. Um, quote, um, after the release deal with Hamas... Um, we will continue to ensure that we extract Hamas from Gaza. 
Um, the war cabinet has backed Benjamin Netanyahu in continuing the war against Hamas. Let's, we've not spoken about this. Is there a trap uh, secretly planned for when the hostages are handed over? Who knows? Who knows? One thing I do know, I wouldn't trust the Hamas terrorist group as far as I could throw them. We will take a break. We're going to catch up with Mark Latham after the news on TNT Radio.